All right, welcome back. Welcome back. All right, so act two started with this crisis happening essentially in this kingdom, and we're gonna leave them to their crisis for a bit and switch tracks. So we're gonna get introduced now to two entirely new characters in entirely other kingdom whose stories are about to intersect with this story. So these characters, they, this kingdom of course has various neighbors and their neighbor to the north is this kind of like mountainous region and it's got its own king and all that. And the first character I'm gonna introduce you to, her name is Maud and she is a princess of that kingdom. She is the youngest child and only daughter of her family. And to give you a sense of Maud's character, so she, she's about Rowan's age and she, she has a very similar personality in many ways. She has a number of her own unique eccentricities. So one of them is very much based on myself as a child where as a kid, I was like, an armchair wilderness survival enthusiast, which is the worst kind of armchair enthusiast because I didn't hike or backpack or camp. I just read lots of books on the subject. And um, yeah, I, I just love to fantasize about that stuff. And so she, she's really similar where like when her and her family go on these escapades in the forest, She'll, she'll come like running up to her brothers and she's like covered in dirt and twigs and she's got this handful of mushy berries and she's like, look, look, I found food. And I know the idea of wild food sounds very romantic, but I did eventually go and take a practical wilderness survival class in college and it is not tasty for the most <laughs> part. It is not like the greens are really bitter and the fruits are really tart. And there's a reason we invented agriculture to fix that. <laughs> so, so she's running up and, and she's like offering them these berries and they, they're humoring her and they try some and they're like, this is, this is terrible. Like, why, why are you feeding this to us? She says, shut up, like, you, you, you have to eat it. It's, it's sustenance, we're surviving. And, and they're like, you're, you're crazy, but okay. So that's her. <laughs> she's very weird and people are frequently exasperated with her. She has one brother in particular, his name is William. He's the closest to her in age. And he kind of tolerates her weirdnesses a bit more, has more, has like an affectionate relationship with her. And William is very much kind of like the classic fantasy hero, especially compared to Rowan and Maude. Like he's like tall and dark and like, he's like a, like a Jon Snow or Aragorn type character, like this outdoorsman. And he and Maude are like best friends and they, they love to like go out in the woods and go on adventures together. And she'll kind of like needle him and whine and, and get him to like teach her things that he's not supposed to be teaching her. And they are really drawn to the forest and they're really especially drawn to Rowan's forest because that, that looks like a good shit. Like that looks like proper deep forest. But when anytime they go near it, the common folk are like, no, like you, you mustn't go into that forest. It's haunted. It's the realm of the fairy king. If you go in it, you will, you will be taken and you will bring bad luck upon us all. You mustn't enter that forest. And William and Maude are like, that, 
that sounds like a story invented to keep the kids away from the good stuff. Like, like we are really interested in that forest. So they have all these little escapades and little adventures in Rowan's forest, and Maud will like do her berry routine, and William will humor her, and they have numerous of these little excursions into the forest. And meanwhile, William has been teaching her archery and various other skills, and she's starting to get really cocky, where she starts to think she's really good at archery. And William kind of wants to take her down a peg, like, no, no, no. The point of archery is not to shoot at targets. The point is to shoot at game. It's totally different when it's in the field. So like, you're not going to be a proper archer until you've taken game. And she's like, okay, so take me hunting. And he's like, no. And she's like, please. And she, she works on him and eventually he's like, oh, just this, get you to shut up. Like, okay. So he takes her hunting and they're in Rowan's forest and he's like showing her how to stalk and read signs and stuff. And she like really wants to be good at this. So she's like really paying close attention. And then they find the trail of a deer and they're stalking this deer and they get kind of close to it. And he's whispering to her like what to aim for and you gotta get the best shot you can and then run up and finish it off with your knife if you don't kill it outright. And she really wants to be good at this, but also like she's never done this before. She's never killed anything. So she's got her, her bow and arrow and she's, she's really nervous. And as she shoots, at the very last moment, she flinches just a hair, just enough that she misses her intended target. She gets the deer in its leg instead. And the deer falls to the ground and William jumps out with his hunting knife to like go finish it off. And as he rushes up to this deer, the deer cries out, wait, please don't kill me. <laughs> and, and William's like, what the fuck? Like, what, what's this? And as he's, as he's like, whoa, like, like trying to process this deer talking to him, there's this roar that rings out. And then this wolf, lion, stag creature comes flying out of the trees and tackles him to the ground. And, it, and it's like this really violent scuffling and Maud is freaking out and she runs out from her cover and she's like, stop, stop, stop. And Rowan kind of turns and freezes. Like he didn't realize that she was there. He thought this hunter guy was acting alone and this like strange woman materializes out of the trees. And he's like, who is this? And he gets William in this hold and kind of uses him as a human shield. And he's like, I wouldn't try that if I were you. You don't appear to be a very good shot. And she's like, oh shit, it talks. And she says, let him go, please let him go. And he says, drop your weapons. And she says, how do I know that you won't kill both of us if I drop our weapons? And he says, how do I know that you won't shoot me as soon as I've let him go? And she's hesitating. And he says, you're thinking about it right now. You're thinking of doing exactly that. And she's like, no, I'm not. And he's like, don't lie to me. I'll always be able to tell if you're lying to me. And she asks, why is that? He says, because I'm better at it than you. <laughs> so they're having this tense standoff. And she's hesitating and hesitating, doesn't know what to do. And he's watching her. And he says, OK, alternate proposal. Uh, drop your weapons right now or my wolves will tear you to pieces. And then she looks around and she realizes in the time that they've been talking, she's now surrounded by wolves. And these are, of course, Rowan's wolves, his soldiers who had turned into wolves when the spell happened. And she's, she's caught. She recognizes she has no choice, so she drops her weapon. She surrenders. And he's like, better, now we can talk. Who are you? What are you doing? And he interrogates them. 
they're not supposed to be there in that forest, and they don't really want him to know who they are. But Rowan asks a number of pointed questions, and Maud's not a very good liar. So he pretty quickly deduces that they are the prince and princess of this neighboring kingdom. And he's like, that's very interesting. And he says, all right, let's all agree that I am entirely within my rights to imprison you or execute you, but this is what we're going to do instead. And he explains to them that his kingdom, his forest, has been having these issues with random hunters and people like themselves like wandering into his forest, which is a big problem because, of course, um, I mean, there are animals who are actually animals, who are always animals, but then there are, of course, a lot of animals who are actually cursed humans, and so hunters wandering into the forest is a bad, is bad news. So he says, like, this is what you're going to do. You're going to go home, you're going to tell your dad, the king, to put an end to that. You're going to put like, security on your side of the border, you're going to institute harsh penalties for people encroaching, like trespassing on my land, and you're going to see to it we don't have this issue anymore. And William is like, yes, yes, thank you, whatever you say. And Rowan says, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to her. You are coming back with me as my hostage. <laughs> and William's like, like, but why? And he says, because I don't trust you, obviously. And so they, they start pulling them apart, you know, like William's being dragged back towards the castle and Maud being dragged back to her kingdom. And then she cries out, she says, wait. Take me instead. And like Roan was not expecting that. He's, so he's, okay, okay, sure, fine, whatever, and starts to exchange them. And then William freaks out. He's like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't listen to her. She's crazy. Like, you're going to take me. Like, take me. And Roman's like, oh, my God. Like, I, I don't care. <laughs> like, one of, one of you, like, work it out between yourselves. And so William and Maude have a huddle. And she says, okay, here's the thing. You've always been the good kid. Like, if you go back and you, you, you tell them to do this thing, they'll listen to you. I, I've always been the bad kid. It makes more sense for me to stay. And William hits back with what's essentially the chivalry argument of, like, you know, you're my sister. I'm supposed to protect you. It's my fault you're in this situation. Like, I, I, I should be the one to, like, risk my life. And Rowan's listening to them argue. And he's like, yeah, I agree with her. I, I, I think her arguments are more persuasive, so we're, we're taking her. And so, so, so now, you know, William is, like, dragged protesting away, and he gets, like, ejected back into his lands. And meanwhile, Maud is traveling back to Rowan's castle with Rowan and his wolves and this wounded deer that she had shot. And she's being led deeper and deeper into this forest, and the trees are getting bigger and bigger. And Maud of course, is really stressed and frightened. But at the same time, like, these are the biggest trees she's ever seen. And she can't help but be like really intrigued by this forest around her. And she's being led deeper in. And, and then they round some sort of corner and some sort of cliff. And then there's a castle, which looks super out of place in this deep primeval forest. So she's being led up to this castle. And then she's got like these wolf escorts on either side of her. And as they cross over the threshold, the wolves turn into humans, of course. And in my mind, it's this really visually satisfying transition because all these people, I mean, by the way, at this point in the story, Rowan's maybe 16 or 17, like several years have passed since the curse took hold. So these people are very used to this, these soldiers. And so like this wolf paw will come down and turn into a hand and then the hand will push off and they stand up as their human selves. And Maude is watching this happen. She's like, oh my God, they're, 
they're people, they're shapeshifters, they're, they're, they're fairies. Oh my God, they're fairies. Like they were right, like the, the superstitious commoners, they were correct. And she's watching all these wolves coming into the castle, turning into humans. And then she sees this deer come in and this deer then turns into this wounded human and she feels really guilty about that. And then finally bringing up the rear, there's the Rowan beast and Rowan beast steps over the threshold and turns back into his like fabulous human self. And she's like, okay. Uh, and then she's like, oh, fuck, it's the fairy king. Uh, he's real. They're, like, they're, all of it's real. All the stories are real. And oh, geez, how do I survive? Now she's trying to remember every fairy story she's ever heard and, and try to remember like the handbook for how do you survive fairy kidnappings. And so she gets escorted off into some sort of like holding cell. And Rowan, meanwhile, his attention has like completely moved on. Because so to give you just there's a lot of world building detail that I have to omit for this format, but all the usual burdens of running a kingdom, and then plus everyone has turned into animals, talking animals, but all the stuff still has to happen, like food and harvest still has to happen, and taxes still have to happen, and the military very much still has to happen because now they've got poachers and they've got like wild animals that they're vulnerable to, and like he's very busy. So he's going about his work. And then these two soldiers come up to him and they're like, um, they're, they're kind of like really sheepish. And they're like, not literally sheep, they're humans. Um, <laughs> they're, but, but they're like real sheepish. And they're like, you know, that girl, he's like, what girl? And like, you know, the, the princess that we captured by the, he's like, oh, oh right, okay, what, what about her? And they, they say like, she, she won't eat. And he's like, what do you mean she won't eat? Like to him, this is like, if you were to text your CEO that the toaster is broken, like, like have you tried asking her more firmly? Like, uh, why is this escalating to me? And they're like, well, like, like and they're like, well, we've tried like all kinds of stuff. We've tried giving her like different food, better food. Like she, she's very, very stubborn. And like short of holding her down and force feeding her, we don't know what else to try. And a big part of Rowan just really wants to say, okay, so do that. <laughs> like, like, like make the prisoner eat. This is like basic prison keeping. Like, uh, and he really, he's so hosed, he's so busy. He really, but something stops him. And it's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to her or something. He's, he goes to talk to her and he like barges into her cell and he's irate. He's like, listen, princess like we made a deal in the forest that I would get a hostage and you do not have my permission to starve yourself he, he basically assumes that she's acting in bad faith and doing some sort of hunger strike bullshit and this demeanor does, is not effective like it doesn't really get him anywhere she's very stubborn in her own right so he has to like take a different tack and and he's talking with her and it comes out that the reason she won't eat the food is because she's convinced that he's a fairy and that they're all fairies and that if she eats the fairy food, she will be trapped forever in fairy world. That's what all the stories said. And Rowan, this like completely shocks him, like surprises him out of his funk and he like laughs with surprise. He's like, that's adorable. Like Rowan in general is a person whose moods can change really quickly. So he, he's like, that's okay. Like, what makes you think that? And she's like, well, let's see. Like, you're a shapeshifter. 
you live in a castle in an enchanted forest, you've got an army of talking wolves, you, it's like, okay, okay, I, I get it, but you, you've got this completely backwards. Like, I'm, I'm not a fairy, I'm a human who's been cursed by fairies. I'm on the same team as you. And I'm, I'm glad we cleared this up. Like, you can eat the food, it's normal human food, it's safe to eat. And she's like, or maybe you're trying to trick me into eating your fairy food. He's like, God damn it. She's like, you admitted to being a liar. He's like, I'm not lying about this. And that's not persuasive. So he has to try yet another tack. So he's like, okay, fucking. All right, okay, you don't have to trust me, but you've come into the forest before. You've eaten the berries and the roots, and you've always been able to go home afterwards. So like, even if you don't trust me, you're, you're just obviously incorrect. And she's like, well, maybe, but like, those were wild berries and stuff. Like, this is bread and soup. Like, for all I know, it's different. And he's like, <sighs> so, so then they kind of go back and forth. And then he comes up with like a proposal. Like, they figure out this deal where during the day, she can go outside the castle with an escort of wolves to make sure she doesn't run away and forage for herself, like just like fucking feed herself. And then as long as she comes back each evening, stays the night in the castle, and he asks, like, would that be acceptable to, to you? And she says, I, I, I think so. And he's like, great, that's settled, goodbye. And he leaves. So anyway, now we enter this part of the story that's like Maud in this kingdom. And, and this part of the story takes place over the course of an entire summer. So there's a book I really liked as a kid called My Side of the Mountain. Yeah, it's like about this city kid who runs away from New York City, decides to like live off the land and the Catskills. It was like it was like my jam when I was a kid. And this part of the story is basically that book, but with talking animals and magic and stuff. So she's like trying to teach herself how to properly live off the land, and she's not very good at it at first. And she's learning. And meanwhile, she's having all these interactions with talking animals, where all these people, all these animals, they really like talking to her because she's the only human. Outside of the war, she's the only one who's human. And so when they talk to her, they feel more like humans themselves. They can connect with their human selves. And so she's like trying to do her stuff and all these animals want to talk to her. It's like very Disney princess again. And as time goes by, like she starts to learn a lot about these people and their culture and their history. And increasingly, she's hearing this version of the story that is pretty consistent across tellings of what had happened there. And it starts to become more believable that Rowan was telling her the truth, that they were all humans and they were cursed by fairies. Uh, but she, she still doesn't quite trust them, but she kind of gradually does start to fall in love with these people and this place. And in particular, she develops these affectionate relationships with the wolves who are guarding her, especially like the wolves kind of enjoy her, like she's kind of fun to watch as she's learning how to feed herself. And increasingly, as they start to trust her more and it becomes apparent that she's not going to try to run away, and also this arrangement, it's working, like they don't get any more hunters and it doesn't seem like they're going to need to kill her or anything, it starts to become like a really easy and desirable gig to be on mod duty. You know, she's not gonna run away and so they just get to hang out and watch her forage. And it's pretty fun and she's like pretty interesting. So meanwhile, her and Rowan still have this really kind of brusque and standoffish relationship because they both have this thing where they don't want to get close to the other person because Rowan, like she is technically his hostage and the entire security of that border depends on her. 
And the whole point of having a hostage is that there's a credible threat, you might kill them. So he, he doesn't want to get too close to her. And then she, meanwhile, there's like all these fairy stories about fairies being very dangerous and very deceptive and, and that they'll like seduce you, they'll put spells on you and fuck with your mind. So she does not want to get close to him either. But they do start to learn a lot about each other by proxy, like via the wolves who are close with both of them. And she starts to get a picture of him from their perspective, which, which is very positive, like he's very well loved. So there's this gradual softening that happens throughout this summer. Meanwhile, Rowan, during this part of the story, he's like dealing with his own issues of how to break the spell. And the difficulty with him is that the fairy had said, come home and the spell will be lifted. And it was implied that that meant like surrender yourself to be taken into fairy world. And even though Rowan doesn't know he's a fairy, he does have this like sort of latent fairy intuition when it comes to magic and spells. And words are very important, like home, that doesn't seem like fairy world would be home. And if it doesn't work, he has this intuition that going to fairy world wouldn't actually break the spell. And if it doesn't work, he'll have no way of knowing. He'll have been kidnapped and disappeared. And then his people will be abandoned and they'll probably be slowly encroached upon by neighboring kingdoms and all the animals killed. And that would be really bad. So he, he's really torn where on the one hand, he really wants to surrender and go and find mom, find dad, find out what happened to them, maybe save them. But he's got this duty that's holding him back. So these are their kind of like parallel journeys throughout the summer. Meanwhile, as the summer progresses and they start getting close to autumn, everyone starts getting really hyped for this event that's coming up called Human Day. And Human Day is this thing that happens twice a year, once in the spring, once in the fall, where it's a big party. It's this amazing party where the premise is you come to the castle and everyone crams themselves in and they're all human for a night. And really great parties often have really great hooks. Like there's some premise that gets you excited and gets you in the door. Then once you're in the door, you can layer all kinds of other experiences on top of it. And this party has the best premise, like it has the best hook. Because you come, you step over the threshold, you're a human again, you are already having the best night of your life. Like this, you're so glad to be here. This is a great party. And then on top of that, Rowan pulls out all these stops and he provides like music and dancing and theater and entertainment and the best food you've ever had. So it is a great fucking party. Um, it is also literally a great fucking party because if you are, for example, a fox and you've got a crush on someone who's a rabbit, like this, 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 this evening is kind of your one chance to maybe do something about that. So you can get a sense of the nature of this party. Um, so everyone is, you know, and this isn't the first time that it's happened, so everyone knows what to look forward to, and they're getting really excited. And now they're getting her excited about it. So they're like, oh my God, you're gonna be here for human day. Like, it's gonna be great. And they're excited for her to participate. By the way, so Maude, throughout the summer, there's this strange duality where on the one hand, she is literally a prisoner. On the other hand, she's doing what she's always wanted to do. Like, she's always wanted to like go and be wild in the forest and forage and like be this wild creature. And she's finally indulging her hobby in a way that she's never been able to. And so in a strange way, she's like happier than she's ever been. But the main 
thing that's stopping her from being totally happy is she misses her family. She especially misses William, who was her best friend and who wanted to take her place. And she doesn't know when she'll get to see them again. And the wolves kind of take pity on her and they're like, okay, we, we don't know if we're supposed to tell you this, but it's, it's not forever. Like, what will probably happen is once the spell is lifted, you'll be able to go home. Because once the spell is lifted, everything will be back to how it was and normal means of diplomacy can resume and you won't be needed anymore. So now she has a stake too in the spell being lifted. So anyway, human day arrives and it's the sort of thing where during the day, all day, people are preparing for it and the parties in the evening. And all day, she's being like shunted excitedly from staff to staff. Like they're really excited to get her dolled up and um, she's like helplessly being made over for this party and feeding off of their excitement. And then the evening arrives and it is everything they said it would be and more. Like she has never experienced anything like this before. And especially like on top of everything, the whole mood of the party, especially compared to parties that usually take place in castles that are very exclusive, this party is hyper-inclusive. Like, if there is a square foot of space that we can find for you to stand in and be human inside of, we will try and find that square foot for you. Like, the fire marshal hates this if they existed <laughs> in that time. And she's moving through, like, all these different parts of the party, and everyone wants to talk to her and everyone's like excited to talk to her in their human forms and and it's this thing where she's never particularly enjoyed socializing before like she's always been very weird and she's still like this weird kind of curiosity but it's in a positive way whereas before it's this exasperated like why are you like this but to them I mean this is an era where people don't travel very much so most of them have never met anyone from her kingdom and they just assume that she's weird because she's foreign like, they're, they're very curious about her, like, fascinating culture. So she is having a really good time and enjoying socializing and enjoying these people in a way that she never has before. And throughout this party, there's this dynamic that keeps happening where, like, Rowan and Maud are, like, there'll be all these moments where she is watching him and he doesn't see her and vice versa. And they're seeing this other side of each other where they've always been really brusque with each other, but now seeing each other interact with other people, like this entire other sides of the personality come out. And it's really intriguing. And she keeps watching him and, and all these girls come and dance with him. And it's intimidating because they all seem like they're really good dancers and she doesn't feel like a very good dancer. She kind of chalks it up to their culture it being a bigger thing in their culture. But the party's progressing and the wolves, like the soldiers are getting like progressively drunker and louder. And they're like both really chummy with them. And so finally they, they cross paths, like kind of in the wolf's corner. And she kind of walks up to him and he like gives her a look. And he says like, oh no, she's loose. The prisoner's loose, which is a joke. She's had the free room of the castle for a while now. But they're, they're chatting and then it's getting really hard to hear each other because these soldiers are very loud. And he looks at them and he's like, okay, all my wolves appear to be drunk, so I guess it's up to me to escort you. And so he takes her and leads her out to the dance floor. They have a dance. It's this like, beautiful thing. And she, in the course of this dance, she realizes it's not so much that everyone else was a really good dancer, it's just that Rowan is a very good lead. And so they have this beautiful dance together and it's romantic and flirty, but it's also 
very much still within the realm of plausible deniability because they've both been dancing with lots of people, it's what you do, and it doesn't necessarily mean anything. So then they finish their dance, they break apart, they dance with other people. Then at some point later, they cross paths again, and this time she's kind of eyeing the buffet table because she hasn't eaten all day. Normally she feeds herself during the day, but she's spent all day being like shunted around by staff members. So she's really hungry, and this food is really good. It looks amazing. And she's having this internal conflict where by now she's pretty sure that their story is true and that it really is just human food. And she's having this hesitation where like it's kind of a habit, but anyway, she's like contemplating the food. And he comes up and he's like, I wish you would at least drink the wine because very soon you and I will be the only sober people at this party. And she's like, what, you don't, you, you don't drink? And he's like, no, it dulls the senses. And she says, isn't that the point? Like, <laughs> it's, it's like if you said, I don't eat because it makes me fool. And he says, why don't you eat? Are you still worried that you'll fall under some kind of spell? Like, is that still a thing? She says, don't get offended. He says, I'm not offended. It's kind of weird. It's kind of cool. It makes me sound really dangerous, but... <laughs> And she's just, you know, not rising to the bait. And then the servers come out and they put more food out and they, they've got this big steaming tray of these little amazing vegetable pot pies. All the food's vegetarian, by the way. And um, he, 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 he looks at them and he looks at her and he's like, okay, well, I'm having one. And he snags one off the platter and he's just like eating it messily out of his hands. And he's making a big show of how good it is. And she can't tell if he's fucking with her or if, <laughs> or if that's just how he is with food. And he's eating and watching her. And finally, he's like, OK, you know what? Like, watching you starve is super boring. Um, I have an idea. Get a plate, load it up with anything that looks good, and come with me. And she's really suspicious. She's like, why? He says, just trust me. You don't have to eat it. but..." You know, you'll, you'll see what this is about soon. So she's like, okay, and she gets her plate, and she, and it feels really dangerous because she's getting very tempted as she's choosing what to put on her plate. But she loads it up, and she brings it to him, and he, ta he takes it from her and offers her his arm and then leads her off through the castle. So they're pushing their way through this crowded castle, like stepping around people as they're like fucking in the hallways, which is intriguing. Um, and, and like, you know, they're making their way up and up and up and up to the highest point of the castle. And he brings her to his bedroom. And now she's really curious, like, what is this about? And he continues through, opens the doors to his garden. And she did not know this was here. She did not know this was part of the castle. She's like, what is this? this huge birdcage garden, it's beautiful. And he leads her through to the edge where there's like a low circular garden wall, about like that high. And the bars of the wards are like spaced far enough apart that you can fit between them. And he helps her up. And beyond the bars, there's like this wide ledge that you can sit on. He helps her out onto the ledge and he puts the food on the wall. And then he like gets a handkerchief and like covers the food with a handkerchief. And then he just slides it out to her. And as he slides it out to her, his hand, of course, is turning into a paw. And she's still not quite sure what this is about, but she's like, okay. Um, and she takes the handkerchief away. And beneath, now all the food has reverted into its wild equivalents. Like all the wheat 
has turned into grass seeds and the fruits have converted into their wild equivalents. And so she, she lifts this handkerchief and sees this transformation and Rowan's like magic. It's like, it's like playful thing. And she picks up a peach from the plate and it's a wild peach. So it's not, it's like a little lumpy and wormy and stuff. And she's like, this almost seems more dangerous than before. And he says, okay, like, fine, you know, at least I could say I tried, you know, suit yourself. And he turns his back to her, leans against the wall, gives her some space. And she's sitting there on the ledge, contemplating this peach. And the whole thing in the stories was that fairy food is supposed to be supernaturally beautiful and supernaturally delicious. And if you eat it, then forever after, human food will be like ash in your mouth and you'll never be able to go home. But this just looks like a normal peach. Like it looks like the kind of food she's already been eating all the time. She's already crossed that bridge and she smells it and it smells normal and she finally takes a bite. And it tastes just like a normal peach. Normal, not that tasty wild peach. And she's like, okay, I, I think this is okay. And she starts, to, she starts to eat, she starts to eat herself. And Rowan still has his back turned to her, but he can hear that she started to eat and she can't see him, but he gets this like big smile because to him it's like this, this gesture of trust, like this threshold that they've crossed where she trusts him enough to do this, to eat off this plate. And they, you know, she's eating and they're having a conversation and she's like, this garden is amazing. And he says, yeah, my dad made it for me. And she says, do you, she, she'd heard, of course, about the king disappearing. And she's like, do, do you know what happened to him? He says, we think he was taken by fairies. Like they took my mother, it's, it seems to make sense, but I don't know, maybe he just decided he was tired of being king. I don't think he liked it very much. She says, what about you? He says, I'm not a king. Rowan is still holding out hope that dad will come back like he promised. And it's this kind of sad, vulnerable thing that he shared with her. And then, you know, like there's this noise coming up from the party, like this ledge overlooks this courtyard and she kind of scoots up to the edge of the ledge to like look down on the party and he jumps up and joins her there. So he like turns back into his beast form as he's coming out past the bars and they're sitting together on this ledge and she compliments him on the quality of his party. And he says, well, it's been really hard for everyone and it's really important that a person has a place where they can be themselves. And she realizes that this thing that on the surface is really lighthearted and carefree and like deboshed is like actually being done for really sober reasons like it's like solidarity solidarity in a time of crisis it's like public relations it's all this stuff and she starts like asking him these questions kind of probing pulling these things out of him and what comes out is so far he's always had this really kind of bossy in control like persona all the time but as she's pulling stuff out of him that, that facade kind of cracks and it comes out that he's really stressed and lonely and scared and he's like 17 or 18 at best at this point in the story and his mother disappeared and his father disappeared and everyone turned into animals and he's trying to, he, he's trying to do the best job he can 
but he doesn't know if he's good enough. And she, she tries to say something encouraging, like, you know, everyone, everyone has a lot of faith in you that you're going to figure it out, that you'll, you'll break the spell. And of course she has the stake in the spell lifting and he knows that. And now he can't hold the truth back from her anymore, which is that he doesn't know how that's going to happen. He doesn't know how to break the spell. Like, like home, what is home? Like the castle clearly doesn't count. Like he's left and come back so many times. It's never done anything. So what is, what is home? Like maybe he, maybe he doesn't have one to come home to. And she's taking that in. And then she says, well, it, it looks like I could be here for some time. And he says, do you hate me for that? She says, not anymore. And he gets this really sad look and he says, it's, it's not personal. And she says, I know. And he's like, okay, that's good. And she's, by now she's finished her meal and they've run out of plausible deniability and they're just on this ledge together and he's like, okay, I, you'll, you'll wanna get back to the party, I expect. And he like leaps out and lands as a human and offers her his paw and like helps her down. And they start walking back the way they came. And as they approach these balcony doors leading back into the castle, he stops and he says, you'll find your way from here? She says, aren't you coming? He says, no, I think I'm, I think I'm gonna stay up here and brood. And she's like, have fun. She's like, yeah, I will. And she's hesitating and hesitating and they've, they've run out of plausible deniability and, and, and she starts to open the door to leave him and he interrupts her, he says, Maud. And she looks back and he says, it was never personal. And she's looking at him and looking at him and then she finally closes the door and comes back to him and, and takes his hand and they've got this intense like nonverbal moment together and then they kiss and they're, they're making out. <laughs> and, and, and then Rowan freaks out. He has like a freak out. He's like, oh shit, what am I doing? Uh, we shouldn't, we need to talk about this. <laughs> And indeed, they need to talk about this. Like, she's still his prisoner. This is, like, not generally, like, a healthy power dynamic to have <laughs> in a relationship. And so they talk about that. And then putting all of that aside, this whole situation and the curse and everything, even putting all that aside, they don't live in an era in which people like them can just, you know, date whomever. The way it generally happens is, like, your parents arrange some sort of political alliance and then you get shipped off and you marry that person. Like even in the best of scenarios, they're not supposed to be doing this. And so they get to this point where Maud is essentially itemizing all the reasons they should proceed no further and forget this ever happened. And he's nodding along with her. And, and then she says, I've decided I don't care. I want you. Do you want me? And he looks at her and looks at her. And finally he says, you are so brave. And they kiss again. And this time they don't stop. 
and things, yeah, th things escalate from there. <laughs> and that's the end of Act Three. <laughs>